cards in the tarot that, uh, in the first row, that sort of fully express the feminine principle in the Kabbalah, of course, are the High Priestess and the following key, the Empress. The, on the Tree of Life, they're pretty close too. The, the path of the High Priestess descends from the crown to Right, actually goes all the way down to the kingdom, and it's the uniting intelligence, so it actually unites both pillars of the tree. So it's the key of descent, and then the empress is a reciprocal key, which is right above it on the tree of life. So they're they're very close friends on the tree, as well as being right next to each other in the tarot. Uh, Incidentally, I just came over from Marin, and uh, there are horns on the moon tonight, which is very nice. Goes with the key, you know. It's very pretty. These are out, but the other one is very nice. Uh, obviously, the high priestess refers to the moon and uh, everything that's cyclic, and of course, it signifies also the whole principle of duplication, which is the basis for the whole reproductive system that we're very much familiar with. That's one aspect of the moon. As far as the feminine principle is concerned, it, as we've said many times here, it rules everything, which uh, is uh, practically everything you can think of, everything is. The reason for this is that uh, the high priestess represents the lord of mind. In fact, the essence of the high priestess is mind in the sense of the ultimate solution that holds everything in solution. If you think of it that way, I think it's helpful. Uh, it's a kind of a, if you like, a super saturated solution and all of a sudden things begin to gel uh, out of this supersaturated solution. The solution itself does not change, and mind does not change. And Our Lady here is the Lord of this particular business of the mind. And as you know, the mind is an extremely difficult problem for practically everybody, so it's a major part of this work to explore some of the avenues, anyway, that uh, lead us to a better understanding of mind. Perhaps in our discussion we can get into the nature of mind a little bit uh, and see in what respect it differs from what is not mind, you know, by way of contrast. But the thing to remember is that the High Priestess represents mind in its most abstract aspect, and the Empress represents mind in its active aspect as the creator of everything. So that's uh, a pretty large order. The, um, the fact that the High Priestess 
is sitting between the white and the black pillar refers to the fact that her throne is between the polarities, all of them. I won't burden you by enumerating all of the polarities, but you can start with male and female, positive and negative, black and white, and, and exhaust yourself any time that you're in the mood with all the opposites there are. They're legion, and her throne is in the middle, so that she represents the, uh, you might say, the balancing force between the opposites. And this is uh, it's kind of a fun exercise. There's, of course, in the data that we have on the tarot, there are opposite, opposites like life and death, and she represents peace and strife, and the empress represents wisdom and folly, and so on and so forth. But uh, she never gets involved in either peace or strife. Her seat is somewhere else. Her throne is elsewhere. We we shall also, I trust, get into uh, our relationship with this particular principle. That's a, those are a few aspects of the high priestess. The other one is that she represents memory, the principle of memory, or if you like, the faculty of memory. And in this case, it's it's the cosmic memory. And the occult tradition, of course, is that our memory is is part and parcel of the cosmic memory, and that's the reason we can remember. Uh, we can take this or leave it or analyze it at our leisure, but in any case, it's a very stimulating idea, the notion that uh, the cosmos remembers everything, and out of this storehouse, uh, you can dredge almost whatever you can dream up. The It's uh, to uh, highly intelligent people like ourselves it's uh, perfectly obvious that the cosmos has a pretty terrific uh, intellectual basis, among other things. And you may be sure that there is a, a memory bank which underlies the intellectual basis uh, of the cosmos, or if you like, the logos aspect, and that uh, the, the memory bank is functioning perfectly as far as what we can observe in the universe. So we're in, as I say, highly intelligent people like ourselves are in the middle of a big deal, and we don't need anybody to explain it to us because we can see it with our own eyes, ears, and so on and so forth. So uh, it's just a case of looking, and we can see a whole lot of things which are rather on the magnificent side uh, as to what is going on. and. The, the law of all this, of course, is something that what is characterized by the high priestess, she holds the law in her lap. We get, uh, we get another statement of this in Key 10 that uh, the tarot speaks the law of nature. Well, nature, of course, is Isis, and, and the high priestess is Isis. Isis veiled in this particular key, and Isis unveiled in key 17. But Isis, uh, as most of us know, uh, represents pretty much just about everything we can discover. So it's a big deal, and uh, it's very much like the notion of alma mater, which is uh, typical of our universities, that alma mater is the 
is the all-inclusive term, which covers everything that's going on in the university, which is also a very uh, big thing that's happening. And uh, the all-embracing mother is uh, the one that gets it all together, you see. And that's very typical of the high priestess in her, in her, in the sense that she draws everything together as the uniting intelligence. She she integrates everything in the universe and brings it into unity. The uh, function of the empress in the following key is rather different because she is the fertile one who produces everything. And uh, while she's going into this uh, production business, that is the empress, the the high priestess in her capacity never loses track of anything that's going on or how it's done and how it's all put together and so on and so forth. The, the important thing to remember is that in the occult doctrine uh, all of these things that we hear about the high priestess are true of ourselves and uh, so you hear all this fancy talk about the cosmos and what's going on in the cosmos, but you have to remember that in the occult doctrine we are a <coughs> small cosmos ourselves. It's intimately and immediately related to the great cosmos. As they say, we're made in the image of God. Now, that's one way of putting it, a theological statement. But uh, uh, there is also the statement about the macrocosm and the microcosm, which is not quite so theological, but it means that every faculty and every power that we possess is immediately derived from a, a greater cosmic faculty and power. The, that rang the bell. The, the letter Gimel, uh, which means camel, of course, signifies communication. And uh, as you might expect, if the, if the high priestess uh, holds everything together, then she accounts for the communication between all the parts. In other words, they communicate through the, the stratum that she represents in the scheme of things. She is the underlying connection between everything in the universe and functions uh, on this level constantly, uh, holding everything together. And of course, she has a whole lot of meanings. Now, this one other thing that I think is extremely important is this uh, idea of the robe and the stream of consciousness, which uh, you might say it, since uh, all the activities that are going on in the mind have a sort of, uh, I suppose you'd call it quasi-spatial aspect, and also they have a sort of a temporal aspect. It's as though the whole thing were moving in a stream, uh, the entire display of activity. And uh, in this particular case, we're thinking of uh, all the mental activities that are going on in the universe. And they are like a great river uh, without any particular limits. Now, one of our problems is to understand that we are not the river and that, uh, and that we are something else again. The spirit is not uh, uh, what it sees, 
it's not supposed to identify with uh, the scene. It's supposed to uh, be able to look at it as a spectator and to keep itself uh, dry while it's in the water, which is, of course, a paradox, but that's the way it is. We are immersed in this enormous stream of phenomena, and yet we have to reserve uh, our spirit for something else, which is to, uh, you might say, to relate ourselves to the elements within which are not uh, directly connected with this great scene that we're uh, perhaps enjoying or perhaps disliking or being annoyed by or bothered by or bugged by or however you want to put it. So this tremendous, uh, if you like, fantasy of the universe is, um, is completely the bailiwick of uh, the high priestess. She controls it. This is in a manner of speaking, of course. You understand that, uh, I'm sure that <coughs> when we talk in this fanciful way, we're talking in an analytical way uh, simply to point out certain areas of, uh, uh, you might say, awareness or knowledge or what you will, that uh, have been passed down through the centuries and are considered worth looking at. You understand that everything is a unity, but for the sake of analysis and uh, to pass the time and so on and so forth, we, we break it all down into as, as many significant parts as we can, knowing full well that it's all integrated. The, for instance, what is represented by the high priestess has a functional aspect which is working all the time in unity, you see. And this is true of everything in the Tarot and in the Kabbalah, all the principles that are involved, they're all functioning. And we look at them one at a time, and as we've said many times, it's like walking around the elephant, and, and uh, you know, parts of it look like a tree, a rope, as the old Hindu saying goes, and we look at the rope and, and pull the rope and see whether the, anything happens, and we embrace the legs and see if anything, you know, that sort of thing. That's what we're doing. We always have to remember that it's all just one great big elephant that we're looking at. So this way we don't get carried away by analysis and sort of get lost in, in all the details because the details are immense, as you and I know very well. Well, now that I'm out of breath, maybe you can get out of breath, okay? You don't really believe that, I know. <laughs> Yes. One of one of the really most important things in Kabbalah to me is that there's a there's a middle between the, the polarities, between the opposites. There's, yeah. It's and it's the unifying principle which is really like a third thing. Right. The unity. And so that that's a connection again with the high priest with the uh, empress, which is the number three. And she's love. And so I figure that the unifying principle is love. Well, uh, but also, you'll notice that she crosses the point, the conscious point, is, is pretty much exactly where she is. It's not just love, but in other words, it's conscious love that's involved. In other words, it's conscious awareness, because she's in that, she's in that crossover point, you see, between the, her line, 
which is between Chokmah and Bina, and the line that the high priestess is on, you know. And that particular point is the point of knowledge. It's like the, you know, the famous das that you hear everything about. That knowledge is is related to love because it, it represents uh, the thing that that happens when the opposites come together. See, that's what knowledge is. When you're aware of both sides. That's right. But uh, knowledge is what happens when both sides meet. In other words, you know, when they uh-huh. when something happens, as we say. The happening is the knowledge right there. That makes the knowledge. There isn't any knowledge until something happens. And what happens is the two opposites come together. That reminds me of knowledge. And it makes an event, you see. And that's that's exactly why she's on that cross there. She's right at the point of the cross. And of course the love is involved, you know, because uh, again, love is what happens when the opposites come together, you see. But this is true. This is true of everything. In other words, as our Hindu friends tell us, love isn't there on either side. In other words, it's not on the right and it's not on the left. It's in the it's in the actual uh, joining of the two that the love appears, and that's that's where she is. <coughs> in the Bible, they use the word knowledge to mean coming together of opposites. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, they use it in, uh, they speak of it in sexual terms in the Bible, uh, but it has a general uh, significance, which is more than just, we'll say, human sex. It has uh, a significance as far as everything that happens is concerned. Because the only reason anything happens from a cosmic point of view is because the cosmos, cosmos wants that event. It likes it. <laughs> you know, it's its pleasure. So that's what it boils down. That's why, in the in Paul's remarks about Paul Case's remarks about the the hermit, he he specifically mentions that the term will is connected with the idea of delight. So that the will of God, for getting back into theological terms again, is is the thing that God delights in. Well, you don't you don't have to just think of uh, as necessarily God because there's so many you know connotations and everything else. But if you think of the underlying reason why everything is going on, that's good enough. You know. See the well, we'll, we'll get into that too with the emperor key. Uh, you understand that the mind is the, is the, um, you know, it's sort of um, well, like the fertile earth. Uh, this is just by analogy. It's like the fertile earth, and the and the seed comes from the from the other side, you know, so that the mind is. Uh, is the very essence of fertility, and of course, 
in the tarot sequence the combination of the magician with his uh, obvious phallic symbol and the uh, and the high priestess brings about the result of the of the empress who happens to be pregnant even though she's still in high school you know what I mean so uh, it's one of those things uh, there's a very in the Kabbalah, there's a very profound reason for it. The same thing is true in the Hindu philosophy. In other words, uh, uh, there, the polarities represented by the male aspect and the female aspect produce everything. Of course, as far as the forms are concerned, they don't necessarily correspond to human forms. I mean, any 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 life expression at all. Uh, is the result of this process. Yin and yang. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But again, uh, as suggested by what you just said, the yin and yang is, is one thing, you see. It's, and this one thing is emphasized in the Kabbalah as uh, because the Lord our God is one, and then in alchemy they they emphasize it as the one thing that's going on. In other words, uh, the reality, the reality, is just one reality. And it has certain ways of working, and this was the goal of the alchemist, was to try and find out what its ways were. Not to tell it, but to try and discover what the ways were, and then go on from there. So, and this again is if you take a very broad view of nature and don't make a distinction uh, between God and nature or uh, spirit and matter or this and that, if you consider nature as all-inclusive, well then you can understand why the alchemists thought of it as God. They didn't make any distinction. In other words, they didn't divide up the universe and they didn't divide up reality. They accepted everything as being the nature the nature, you see. And that's where the Isis came in. Because Isis was nature, the whole bit, not uh, not just feminine, but everything, you see. And the reason that uh, Isis was feminine, as far as the character was concerned, was because, again, she represented the fruitful aspect of life. And what she was going to produce was from the side of inspiration. You see, mm -hmm. in other words, her inspiration uh, came from within herself, so to speak, and in the Kabbalah, it's indicated by the fact that Chokmah is inside of Bina. And in other words, this is simply saying that the inspiration of Bina is within that principle itself. It's inside, and then inside of that, of course, is the unifying principle which makes a triangle again. You have Hokma and Bina, uh, Hokma inside Bina, and then the unifying principle, which is Kepler, connecting those two in, in a subtle way. You, you've said that all we can ever really know is Bina, That's but the right. rest is mysterious. Yes. The rest is inspiration. In other words, uh, inspiration is uh, very difficult to... Uh, shall we say, describe or analyze. In other words, if you knew everything there was to know about the universe, 
uh, you wouldn't have all the things that there are in the universe, all the creatures, all the rules, regulations, everything, if you could consider that you had all knowledge of everything, without any exceptions, you were the super, the super wonder of the universe because you knew it all, you would still, the inspiration would elude you. <laughs> that could drive you crazy. <laughs> I think that's the scientists are into that, you know. Well, uh, Einstein was in it. He called it his intuition. Well, he knew about he knew about inspiration. Yes, of course. But he called it intuition. That was his name for it. And he said, you know, again, repeating what we've said here many times, that he, he pointed out, you know, you no matter how smart you are, you don't sit down in the chair and say, now I'm going to think a great thought or I'm going to have a great idea. It doesn't work that way. You don't say, now I'm going to be inspired, you know, no way, no way. The inspiration is available, but uh, it works in mysterious ways. It has its own times and its own places and everything else. And everybody knows, anybody who's in the arts at all knows this is true. You know, I mean, sometimes you're a real whiz kid, and other times it's kind of heavy going. But there are processes of becoming more receptive. Oh, so yes. more will come in when it does feel like coming in. Oh, sure, sure. If you, if you want to develop your intuitive faculties, you certainly can. No question about it. And one of the, one of the chief things is, first of all, to realize that there's some sense in trying to develop it. I mean, if you're a hard-headed guy why, and you think it's all a lot of baloney that you can do that, well, that's an obstacle that you can't, you can't get beyond that. I mean, you're, just, you're stuck then until something happens. You know? But if you go about uh, wooing inspiration uh, or wooing the muse, as the saying goes, you're going to get more. Excuse me. Was, who was I reading the other day? Oh, I know, it was uh, uh, Priestley. I was reading Man in Time, and he said that, uh, I think, did I tell you the last time the most successful plays he, he wrote in, you know, in a matter of a week or something like that, and the ones he really sweated over, they sold, but the really good ones, they just rolled right off his pen, you know, like that. Whoosh! And it was in a certain period of his life, they all sort of came together, one right after the other, and they were all hits. And then he wrote a lot of, you know, he wrote a lot of plays and stuff and books and things. They all sold, but they were not the su supremely successful uh, parts of his work, his, you know, the whole bit. Do you think he did something wrong that he lost some no. inspiration? I don't think so at all. That's just how it works. Huh? Well, it's just like Muscani. He wrote, uh, uh, what is it? Um, what was the name of the one he wrote? Well, anyway, he only wrote, well, he wrote operas by the ton, but uh, nobody ever plays anything, but he wrote one one-act opera, and that was it. And everybody plays that, and they don't play any of the others. I'm trying to think of the name. Universal ingredient, didn't it? Devil's Universal. 
Pardon me? That's the one, cavalry. Thank you. This, you were going to say something else you read in Priestley, too. Recently, or was that it? Well, I thought that was interesting, uh, you know, in, in comparison. He's, I think he's a, a, a fun guy all the way around, you know. I mean, he's entertaining. Um, but he also got in a confessional and explained what was going on with his, you know, that some things were so much easier than others. You, um, if I remember rightly, you characterized both the high priestess and Kether as the unifying principle. Well, the the high priestess is technically, as far as the universe is concerned, the high priestess is the, you might say, the mechanical aspects of hooking everything together. In other words, she's the telemetry that ties everything together. But uh, yeah, but uh, but Kether, it ties everything together in another way, in the sense that all is is the way that Kether ties everything together because it's in all and underlies everything, you see. It's the underlying principle of everything. See, it, in other words, uh, as the creative principle in the, well, especially in the Kabbalistic sense of the word, the mysterious creative principle, it underlies all the creation, you see. And in that sense, it supports it. It's, uh, uh, it's, if you like, it's the idea. But not the idea after it can be described, but the idea before it can be described. In other words, on the level of, uh, that defies description, it's the underlying idea. And it's pure state. Pardon me? And it's pure, pure Yes, yes, state. exactly. Yeah. So it's like... It's, in other words, it's the potential. The ensafor in the Kabbalah is the potential. To us, it's negative existence, but it is the underlying positive cause of everything, according to the Kabbalistic philosophy. You know, I give up. You know, don't uh, don't strike me. I'm only quoting. I'm only giving you their idea, but uh, it's it's worth looking into. You know, in terms of uh, history of philosophy and this and that and the other. It's a most interesting idea that to us it's completely negative existence. And of course, in Buddhism you get the same idea with the void, which again is, is from our point of view, completely negative. But it's the limitless light in the Kabbalah, and it's very similar in, in Buddhism. You know, it's, uh, it's being uh, on the very, very deepest level. And everything that can be seen, measured, thought about, so on and so forth, has this substratum of the Ensafor and the Kabbalah and the void in the, in the Buddhist uh, approach. I was thinking if, if uh, Kether is sort of the generating source of all these oppositions that we experience when we analyze what we experience, we yeah. find oppositions. Uh, and uh, the high priestess kind of uh, connects them up. They're there, and she kind of connects them up. I, I was relating that to uh, something I flashed on meditating on the card, is that the two horns of her, her uh, head gear there uh, touch uh, the two pomegranates 
Very good. The first division from was good. I hope the artist was that bright who did it, <laughs> because it's it's a very accurate idea, you know, of what's going on. I think as far as what what we're told, you know, I mean, it's, it seems to be fit in extremely well. But she connects with with the, the second two two the short and and the regard. Yeah. Of course, it just so happens too that she happens to be the universe, which uh, makes the cheese even more binding, as the saying goes. But we, in other words, you you go, you know, a little bit at a time into the whole thing. In other words, the two pillars are like the two sides of the high priestess. Really, she has two sides. She's a symmetrical figure, and uh, so there's this relationship also. Because the pillars. Outside, Yafin uh, and Boaz, do they correspond to the pillars in the tree? Mm -hmm. Yeah. One is, of course, the feminine one is the resistance. And it's also, it's the mold, and it's also the medium. In other words, the medium of expression, like the clay and so on, it can receive impressions, and this is its. It's uh, its major characteristic as far as the underlying uh, ability to produce everything. But you have to understand that as an analogy, and then go beyond that and see that in terms of mind, it's mind that is impressionable. And uh, and by its very resistance, holds an impression. That's that correct. There, yeah. That's correct. So the mind is not clay, but in some, in, it, it's helpful to think of it in some respects as being like clay. Well, it's once you get it, you know, that it isn't clay, it isn't at all, but it has this peculiar character. It's very, very weirdo stuff. <laughs> very weird. It seems as though um, it is a kind of a, a real mysterious Mo matrix that's involved uh, with mind. Very, very mysterious qualities of that. That can really get you in trouble because um, you can learn patterns as you're growing up that get stuck in your mind. You really get in Oh, the memory is a, is a, it can be an enemy as far as, you know, making it is concerned. Mm -hmm. If you get hung up in the, in your own memory bank, you can get into real trouble. We have we have a friend who's in that right now, haven't we? Yeah. I know what you do. Instead of calling it clay, call it play-doh, and then you just keep putting it back and reusing it. <laughs> call it what? Brains. Play-doh. Play-doh. Play oh. It's stuff that you know that you keep remolding. Oh. Like then you won't get stuck. Doesn't get fired. Oh, you mean like plasticine, that type of thing? Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 Well, that's the way we're supposed to be. But uh, uh, as uh, Moore just pointed out, there are difficulties if we get stuck. You got to keep it wet. That case when you're getting stuck in this, and, and the momentum of the past has got you, and here you are. You know, you're caught up in it. 
when you, you fortunately fortunately you have the you have the ability to to ignore it you know which is the Irish solution as they say no you don't ignore it and it'll go away you simply uh, focus your attention on a completely different area and concentrate on it that's what you do I mean technically that's that's the answer. There isn't any other answer. In the, in the Bhagavad Gita, uh, the way that Krishna is going to get poor old Arjuna out of his karma is uh, the simple process of having Arjuna concentrate on Krishna. And that, that, cuts, the, that cuts the string right there between Arjuna and his karma. As long as you can...